A new book is inventing a new musical genre. It's called Poetic Songverse, blues-based popular music and poetry. It was written by Mike Madison, who performs with the Tedeschi Trucks Band, and Ernest Suarez, a professor in Washington, D.C. Now, if you haven't heard of the genre before, don't worry, you're not the only one. Well, people haven't heard of that genre or title before because we made it up. Uh, we made it up to explain a type of music that occurred um, when poetry came into contact with uh, popular music in the, uh, mostly in the mid 60s. It starts in the late 50s, but it really comes to the fore in the uh, mid 60s. And as Mike and I were uh, discussing and talking about this topic, uh, we were trying to figure out what exactly is this? What did it have, what, is it literature or is it music? And it is uh, both. And it's when poetry and a certain type of music, blues-based music, meet, and all of a sudden, everything in the song, all the sonic elements, instrumentals, voice, performance, and so on, are used to enhance uh, the lyrics. We're always trying to find ground zero, song zero, if you will, with all of these genres. What do you point to musically as an early example of this? Well, probably an early example of it is something uh, Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. How many roads must a man walk down Before you call him a man How many seas must the white dove sail Before she sleeps in the sand isn't how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind That's the maybe the first song that brings full poetic consciousness uh, to popular music. But that said, we can go back to Chuck Berry and who influenced Dylan and who Dylan calls the Shakespeare of rock and roll. Uh, uh, Chuck, Chuck Berry is the great lyricist of the 50s in, in this mode. And is there a particular song of Chuck's that you would want to point to? Well, we discussed Brown-Eyed Handsome Man. Arrested on charges of unemployment, he was sitting in the witness stand. The judge's wife called up the district attorney. She said, free that brown-eyed man. If you want your job, you better free that brown-eyed man. Flying across the desert in a TWA, I saw a woman walk across the sand. She'd been walking 30 miles en route to Bombay to meet a brown-eyed handsome man. Her destination was a brown-eyed handsome man. Way back in history, 3,000 years, in fact, ever since the world began. There's been a whole lot of good women shedding tears over a brown-eyed handsome man. It's a lot of trouble with a brown-eyed handsome man. Brown-eyed handsome man, if you uh, listen to it and drop the word eyed, 
in each instance. What it's about is uh, uh, white women having uh, relations with, with men of color which in the, at the time that the song was uh, written was taboo for most of the country, but Barry codes it to uh, put this into the song. Beautiful daughter couldn't make up a mind between a doctor and a lawyer man. A mother told a darling, go out and find yourself a brown-eyed handsome man. Just like your daddy, he's a brown-eyed handsome man. And what about that musician, that topic ends up being foundational for someone like Dylan. I mean, one of the reasons why that ends up sticking out as a building block for poetic song verse. Dylan was, you know, a kid. He was a teenager when that's coming out. And I think the, the teens were very much tuned in to what was going on. And Barry was coding these things in order to get it on the air. And I think that that registers with Dylan. And then when Dylan and others, and you know, others, it's uh, uh, McCartney, Jagger, uh, Joni Mitchell, Stephen Stills, so on, so on, Jimi Hendrix, are uh, exposed to poetry and music in the beat coffee houses and so on. The two uh, forms start to merge uh, for them. I know that for me, when I was about 12 years old, I listened to the Dylan song, Desolation Row. And Dylan is referring to Ezra Pound and T.S. Eliot and using all these illusions. And it made me start digging. So if I think of the origins of us thinking about poetic song verse, verse it might even harken all the way back to uh, yeah, uh, myself as a 12 years old. I guess some things never change because I think there's a lot of parents today who hear contemporary music on the radio and they're like, what the hell are they saying? What does that mean? But the kids are picking up on it. Yeah, Toni Morrison always said that the older people never like the younger people's music. And I think it's for the very reasons that you're pointing to. Mike, as a musician, I'm curious what song you look to when we're talking about this genre that, that you feel is really influential to the genre itself or, or maybe just to you personally? Well, you know, again, there's, there's the whole catalog of Dylan, which can be a little daunting uh, if, if you haven't stuck with him or, 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 uh, or jumped in. Um, but f- for me, um, it's, it's the ones that really stand out as the, as the shining examples of poetic song verse are um, a couple songs by Leonard Cohen, who we discuss in the book. Um, especially Suzanne, and uh, just for me personally, uh, famous blue raincoat. Um, to me, it's the shining example of uh, example of poetic song verse, in that in that uh, the, the lyrics are just wedded perfectly to the music, and and just deliver this elevated experience that you have to kind of keep going back to time and time again to really fully catch what's happening. And and uh, and in doing that, you you find other meanings, deeper meanings. Uh, different relations uh, to things out in the culture and things like that. So this poetics piece of poetic song verse is really behaving like, like, a, like literature. Was there something happening in the 60s era uh, that you two isolate that created a good Petri dish for poetry and music to combine in this way that you found significant enough to say, okay, let's sit down and make this case and write this book? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, we, we have to start with the example of Dylan, but if we look at him and his experience, what what he is bringing to his music 
is is a, a deep love of poetry and and i think he's coming to it uh, as ernest says through through beat culture mostly uh you know allen ginsberg kerouac uh, gregory corso uh beat writers and poets um who were really influencing what was coming up next in the 60s obviously nobody knew what was next um but it was uh poetry and poetic seriousness was was seeping out of the academy and, and into the culture into this beat culture at the same time dylan's working in in the folk music world um, which is really a mishmash of different american forms of music and one that is very prevalent in it is the blues and to be a accomplished folk musician you had to have an understanding of, of of blues music and and i think the language of the blues as as and ernest can probably address this better than i can but the language uh, used in the blues this colloquial straight talk um that whose only point is and the, its only purpose for existing is to be authentic and so it doesn't have to be nice it doesn't have to be pretty it doesn't have to be complimentary it can actually be quite awful um but it's it's this frankness um that is occurring in blues music that that a folk musician like dylan would have to be um familiar with yeah ernest what would you add to that with that that connection to the blues well the blues is um you know the blues the blues that develops in the mississippi delta uh during the turn of the century it's a type of music that is it's not uh, based on Western harmonics. It's based on the sound of the human voice. Uh, these, the, the great turn of the century blues musicians were playing what they heard. They didn't have formal training. And what you get after the Second World War with beat poetry and the poetry of, of others too, is a poetry that moves away from traditional meters and is based on the human voice. And it creates the moment when the two uh, forms can begin to merge. And I think they do so naturally. No one plans it out. But in these coffee houses and so on, the young musicians or the young would-be musicians are listening to the poetry and hearing the music, and they seem to be very much related. And I think out of that dynamic, poetic song verse springs. One of the examples that you use in the book is the great Gil Scott Heron. Uh, we recently had Brian Jackson on the show, uh, his right-hand man musically. Um, and talked a little bit about uh, Gill's incredible power with the pen. I mean, he was able to, to pen some incredible poetry. How do you describe his role in, in poetic song verse? Well, he comes along in the uh, later in the uh, 60s. And Gil Scott Heron, to my mind, is a, a genius. I don't know to what extent um, uh, rap and hip hop and those forms exist uh, without without him. That said, Bill Gil Scott Heron is coming out very much of the black arts uh, movement and the type of poetry and music that comes out of that. And he called himself a bluesologist. And he saw, like Leonard Cohen, he saw the music and poetry, he didn't separate uh, the two. They thought He thought that they were one and the same thing. And Mike, a little bit about that that legacy that Ernest pointed out, you know, the influence of, of hip hop and rap through Gil Scott Heron, I think is well established. 
what other ways do we see poetic song verse living on in contemporary music today? Are there musicians or artists who are carrying it forward that we may not be familiar with? I, I think so. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, living on and, and kind of in the Americana realm where, where a lot of, I think, the the more successful poetic song verse is being made with musicians like Lucinda Williams and Steve Earle and even uh, younger ones, Jason Isbell, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but but I, th- I think really where you, the, 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 the vein that that gets mined um, <laughs> is that without Dylan and and his attaching and, and bringing poetic seriousness uh, to this blues-based music, you wouldn't have the evolution of the Beatles. You wouldn't have the evolution of the Rolling Stones. Uh, you know, you wouldn't have those beautiful things that start to happen in in Rubber Soul, and and from there it it continues to creep out in, into the culture. And so in the late 60s and 70s, it kind of became the measuring stick. And I think, you know, if, if you talk to musicians who, like me, are all have a lot of opinions and where music stops and blah, 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 you know, you, you start getting these statements, well, like nothing good ever happened after 1985 or something like that. But but I think what we're trying to say when we say things like that, not that I do, but um, is that uh, it, it really took over the culture. The measuring stick was so high um, and it, and it was part of the popular culture. It wasn't just boutique stuff. It, it was all music that was on the radio had a had a higher standard. Had to it had to reach for, and that's why we have, you know, rock stars like who are, who happen to be uh, great purveyors of poetic song verse. You know, the Joni Mitchells and whomever we could. You know, the list goes on forever. I guess the the thing I, I'm struggling with is is how we end up defining what poetry qualifies as in this musical sense, right? Because I guess someone could argue all lyrics are ultimately poetry. So what are the borders that you end up building around this genre of what qualifies and what doesn't? Yeah, that's a good question. And and again, this is something we just made up. So (laughs) every, every person will have, will bring their own experience and their own sensibility to it. Uh, It's, it's not, it's not supposed to be an exclusive thing. Um, But um, you know, I, I think with, poetic song verse, the great thing about it is it does behave like poetry in that um, you won't necessarily understand it fully by experiencing it once. It should be loaded with meaning. It should be loaded with evocative language. It should take you places that you don't expect. And and it requires you to return to it and and treat it like a living thing. Um, and, And I think that is is one of my main criteria when we're talking about poetic song verse or, or what makes it successful for me. And again, talking about Leonard Cohen, there are songs of his that I'll, I'm listening to 30 years later and I'm just like, whoa, that never hit me. You know, that that to me it means this thing is just packed with um, with aesthetic meaning. I know you mentioned Suzanne and some of his other works earlier in this interview, um, but is there another Leonard Cohen song that you do end up returning to that you'd want to share with us? Gosh, you know, I, I, I like some of his less successful ones. Uh, I, I like the fact that he was always, he, he kept a sense of humor about it, a kind of morbid sense of humor, dark humor in his material. Um, I, I'm not getting one right off the top of my head. Um, but but I, I think he's a great one to look at too, in terms of um, 
the practice of the songwriting. And and Bob Dylan, if if you read about him and 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 go back to interviews and stuff, I think he likes to have this put out the sense that he's more kind of an automatic songwriter and that it kind of he just kind of tosses it off, which I don't think is true. But um, I think that's how he likes to be perceived. Whereas Leonard Cohen was very frank about how he really, really struggled to finish songs and that he treated them like a poet would treat his work. And, and I, I, I think this is apocryphal, but he, in the song Hallelujah, apparently he wrote something like 200 verses before he pared them down over five or six years before he finally pared them down into the seven or eight that are there. Um, and so that's, that's something I always admired about him that he, he followed the work. He wasn't just moving on to the next thing. He, he, he agonized over it, I guess. And, you know, quite frankly, you don't hear a lot of artists that are saying, you know what, this is, this is actually hard. And I understand that too, because you, you want to be cool. <laughs> but, you know, some nerds like me think it's cool if you're in pain and suffering, I guess. Ernest, we talked about song zero, right? Trying to figure out where this uh, invented genre of sorts started. Um, but for you, you know, personally, is there a song that you'd really like to highlight for someone or that you end up returning to all the time that is a great example of this genre? Well, there, there are many, uh, uh, many of them. I mentioned Dylan's Desolation Row, uh, Dylan's Motorcycle Nightmare, which is the first uh, postmodern uh, a, a blue song, Dylan's vision of Johanna, uh, and we could go to you know, the Doors, the end. Uh, there's, I just saw a production of Anise Mitchell's um, Hades Town, and which has been a, a smash Broadway hit and started out as a, a concept uh, album. You know, her her dad is a, a English professor and uh, a novelist uh, too. And the same with Lucinda Williams. Her dad was a, a very prominent uh, poet. And Lucinda says that the way it all came together for her is she would sit in her dad's poetry workshops and then the graduate students were bringing over Doors albums. They were bringing over Dylan albums and so on. And all of a sudden the two worlds that she was interested in uh, mesh. But the bigger point is, in many ways, and these are songs that influenced and moved tens and tens of millions of people who were drawn to the lyrics. It doesn't mean that the sonics weren't important, because they were, but they're there to enhance the lyrics. People named their children after uh, some of these uh, uh, songs. That's Ernest Suarez and Mike Madison. They are the authors of Poetic Songverse, blues-based popular music and poetry. Incredible read for any music fans or anyone that wants to dive deeper into this music and its meaning. I really appreciate you two taking the time to talk to us on Culture Shift today. Thank you for having us. That was really fun. Thank you. Enjoyed it very much. 